Snap Studios. Step Judgment is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Okay, so back in the day, I used to live near three separate mosques. One was basically across the street, the other's not too far away. And I loved living there because several times a day, you'd hear the call to prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard the call of prayer performed from a mosque. And nowadays, some places they will use recordings, but where I live, they were old school. No Spotify, CD player, none of that nonsense. The imams took the microphone themselves. And they were not half-stepping decades and decades of practice and history in each and every syllable. This song, poem, recitation. And yeah, they recited for the edification of whomever came to the mosque, but the sound was amplified for the benefit of the neighborhood. And it was beautiful. Every single day, right before dawn, beautiful. And it wasn't like a competition between mosques, but When one mosque in my neighborhood would finish, the other would often begin their version, their interpretation, and you would hear echoes of one recitation even as the other one started. And I'm overusing this word beautiful because it was just so glorious. I was not raised in a Muslim tradition, but it still touched me helped me both start and end every day. And this beauty is why I'm so excited because on today's Snap Judgment, we've got a special episode to share from our friends at Ritually. It's Nella Farhadayat's new podcast from Brazen Media. And in each episode, she tries out a new spiritual, a wellness ritual to find out if practicing it will actually make you feel better. Nella Far, she did grow up with a Muslim upbringing. And today she's going to dig into a ritual at the center of her religion, this daily call to prayer. A practice uniting 1.8 billion Muslims around the world. But for a lot of reasons, she never felt comfortable responding to that call. So today, she takes a slightly different approach. Snap Judgment.
In this episode, I'm going to explore a ritual that is at the centre of my religion, the call to prayer. I'm a Muslim, but my relationship to Islam is complicated. And so is my relationship to prayer. More on that later. So, for an entire week, I'm going to challenge myself to wake up at the crack of dawn to hear the call to prayer. I want to know if this ritual will bring me some comfort and connection to the world around us. But first, I'm going to need a guide. My full name is kind of ridiculous, Nilfar. It's Sara Sheikh Alizade Omrani Zoltash, but I don't go by that in England. That would be ridiculous. My name is Sarah Zoltash. And then my working name, the name that I share when I'm holding space in order to show myself as the person that I'm becoming is Beloved Sarah Zoltash. Beloved Sarah Zoltash is a spiritual practitioner who's offered the call to prayer in all sorts of secular places from Extinction Rebellion protests through to Burning Man Festival. I asked her why she chooses to call herself Beloved Sarah. I wanted something that would demarcate that, yes, this is my vocation. And I looked and a Muslim nun would be referred to as Habibi. And I'm sure you know Habibi translates. One of the words is beloved. And so that's where it comes from. It's like a way to say I have held myself in this path and I continue to hold myself in this path. And as much as I hope that people hold me as a beloved one, it's also to say that I am dedicated to the beloved. Beloved Sarah has been practicing teaching and learning about Islam for a long time. And she's made headlines for giving her unique version of the Islamic call to prayer all over the world. So I wanted to talk to her about this particular ritual. What is a call to prayer? The Azan, the Adhan in Islam, it is the way that Muslims are called in to come in to pray five times a day. In that sense, it is a prayer in itself. And it's also a beckoning. It's saying, come, come, you know, come, come. And it's a way for people to be able to recognize that they are part of something bigger and greater than them. Beloved Sarah and I are both in our 30s. And we've both grown up knowing what it's like to be a liberal, open minded Muslim. Yet, I feel like our religion has no place for us, right? For women who are different who choose to speak up. I struggle to be in a religious world that silences women and a secular world that doesn't have space for spirituality. So does Sarah. My father and my mother, who were Muslim, they really wanted my siblings and I, if we wanted to come into faith by ourselves, to have respect for it and to be aware of it, but really just to make our own choices. So when friends started going through this like fashionable atheist phase when they were like sort of 12, 13, 14, I was like, no number of answers to scientific questions can answer that big question of like, yeah, but what put all of this here? I, too, lost many an argument in school with friends who decided Richard Dawkins was their god and Nietzsche their prophet. But at the same time, Sarah points out, a lot of people, including me, associate religion with some form of oppression. 
even if somebody is willingly going into prayer, perhaps they go in that place and witness gender inequality. They witness that their mother has less of a voice than their father and they don't understand why. And this threading of oppression alongside spirit means that it's natural that people want to pull away from that. Nobody wants to be oppressed and everybody, every human, every plant, every animal longs for liberation. And for that reason, we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. We <laughs> like we lose this incredibly natural capacity for faith, for belief, for questioning and for communicating with something far greater than us. And so when I talk about God, I'm not talking about the God of some people over here or over there. I'm talking about my God. I'm talking about the God that I experience when I'm at a rave. I'm talking about the God that I experience when I'm with my partner. I'm talking about the spirit of life force that moves through everything that is in all of creation. Beloved Sarah grew up hearing the call to prayer every summer in Iran, where her family's from. You know, it comes out of every mosque, it comes on the TV, it comes on the radio, it, it interrupts the day to let people know that it's time to pray. Until I was about nine years old, I thought it was a lovely song that the Islamic regime was playing for everyone. Until one day I said that out loud to my uncle, we were driving and the azan came on and, and he switched the radio off and I was like, oh, uncle, please, it's the lovely song. And... He was like, Sarah, it's not a lovely song. I was like, what are you talking about? It's a lovely song. And he started to explain to me like the purpose of it. But that lovely song was only ever uttered from a man's lips. And beloved Sarah just couldn't accept that. So she decided to learn to call the azan herself. I've been told I'm not allowed to do this in Islam that a woman's voice is haram. Haram, an action or deed that is deemed to be sinful and therefore prohibited in Islam. And that the call to prayer can only, can only be heard by, from a woman's voice by other women, that it's somehow dangerous for men to do that. Mm. And when I look at Islamic culture around the world, I see the enormous suffering that both men and women and non-binary people are really stuck in because of the patriarchy of Islam. I see that lack of female voices in Islam as being one of the things that all people can address in order to shift the suffering of Muslims under patriarchy. And so really it begins from there of like, I just wonder what happens if people hear this in a woman's voice. I've heard this call to prayer <laughs> countless times. Right? But I've never heard it in a woman's voice. And there's something terrifying and mm. beautiful and agonizing and transgressive and just owning it about the whole thing is making me giddy. And this is where I'm going to be a bit bit of a journalist because that is my job. Yeah. Arguably, what you're doing is haram, right? Yes, I've, yes, many, many people would say that. <laughs> Have people told you to your face? Oh, yeah. Beloved Sarah has been heckled when she's given the call to prayer on stage at festivals and gatherings. She told me about one time when an older Muslim man confronted her at an event. He was trying to admonish me and I just kept saying, dear father, dear uncle, that all I have done is bring people into connection with Allah. And that's all I wanted to do. And then he would say, yes, but you know this and then this and then this and this is the problem and this is the problem. I say, I know, uncle, I, I know it's hard for you, but I just want them to understand the beauty of Islam. And I know that this is an unusual way to do it. Please forgive me for being unusual, but can you see that it has been effective? And he was like, yes, yes, it has. <laughs> so, okay, good. Hallelujah. Mashallah. Mashallah. God joyfully wills it. 
Okay, I have to jump in here because what beloved Sarah just said means so much to me. There are so many times in my life a man has confronted me and told me, no, you shouldn't be allowed to do this because you're a woman. Work, religion, personal life, all of it. It makes my blood boil. Beloved Sarah was able to connect with an ideological foe in a way that made her more powerful. She used her voice not to ridicule or degrade the other person. In one instant, she wrote herself into the vast and varied tapestry of Islam. It's time to hear that voice. Beloved Sarah Zaltash, let's hear your call to prayer. Oh my God, is it time? Okay. It's time. I know, I'm actually quite nervous. No, I'm not, I'm excited. Hold on, let me turn the volume up. I just want to say, Nilofar, that the words that I use and the order that I use them will be different to the one that you have regularly heard. In Sarah's version of the call, it's not a demand to make an offering to God. It's a call to connect with God. She's changed some of the words to make the call feel more inclusive, at least to me. You're going to hear beloved Sarah's call in full at the end. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of oneness, compassionate and merciful. Allahu I would normally invite people now to find some piece of nature, even if that is their own hand, and to kiss it and to place their forehead upon it three times in order to ground the prayer in life. Thank you. I don't know how to conceptualise what I'm feeling right now. Um... I can only thank you for introducing me to that and to say that I've never experienced anything like it. Mm. And I feel like I've been waiting to hear it forever, Mm. which is kind of crazy. I'm going to, I'm going to need some time to process that. It's just, I can't explain to you how, profound that is just to hear it in your voice Sarah just to know that you you mean it with all the all the good intention and all the all the beauty that you speak of I feel so grateful that you have opened your heart to it that's all I really want is that it reaches people to all of the people that were listening to this conversation and your call to prayer your azan how can they incorporate this into their lives if they're not Muslim? Like, do you need to be Muslim to kind of listen to you do this? 
You know, we don't need to be a Chinese person to eat Chinese food. And I don't think we need to be any specific religion in order to appreciate the beauty and the gifts of that religion. So every day for the next week, I will be waking up at the crack of bloody dawn <laughs> to partake in this ritual. Thanks, bloody hell. You couldn't have picked a better slot, could you? Oh, don't go anywhere. After the break, day one. Time to partake in the ritual. Stay tuned. Back to Snap Judgment, the Ritually episode. When last we left, Nilafar Hadayat was sitting down with Sarah, a spiritual practitioner, about to try a new ritual. Snap Judgment. Day one. I'm up. I'm up. It looks light outside already. Sorry, I have my teeth um, guards on. I'm still really sleepy. Um, so, okay, wait, hold on. This is it's, it's happening. It's happening. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Good morning, dear ones. I found a perch. Hi, Sarah. Of Temple Hofferfeld. Sometimes I hear the call to stay with my dreams. And sometimes I hear the call to come and share them with you. That's lovely. Okay, here we go. In the name of oneness, compassionate and merciful. My main instinct is to go and hunt for coffee. But this is just the most beautiful way to wake up in the morning. I'm not going to pray, not like in the traditional sense, but I'm going to think about everything Sarah just did. I'm going to start my day. I felt energized. It was the first time in many, many weeks where I had something to do. I was on a mission. I was going to challenge myself in a way that felt healthy, inspirational, even maybe enlightenment might be at the end of that tunnel. Day two. And I woke up earlier than the call. I kind of can't sleep because I want to hear it. I'm going to go downstairs and look out at nature, as beloved Sarah Zoltash would like me to. Despite my enthusiasm, my internet connection cut out, and beloved Sarah had internet issues too, so I couldn't really wake up to the call as intended. Onwards to... It's day three... Today, I have woken up well before the actual time to call. <laughs> I set my alarm 15 minutes early so that 
I can go downstairs, make a cup of tea, sit down. I look forward to it the night before when I set my alarm. And it's got nothing to do with the prayer element of it. I think at this point, it's really soothing to me, her voice, her call. Just looking at her, watching her, the fact that she's outside and making an effort to kind of be amongst nature. And I feel like she's talking to me directly, even though I'm just, I'm just watching. Then came day four. So it's about five minutes until the call. Um, I was up late working and I'm just not in the mood today. I think, no, I don't want to think. It's dawn. I want to sleep. I'm not thinking. I'm going to sleep. Yes, so that was a tough day. I missed the Azan altogether. I was losing my drive to keep up this ritual and I needed inspiration from a devotee of Islam and someone passionate and learned. So I reached out to the person who made me a Muslim, my mum. For as long as I can remember, my mother has heard the Azan blaring from the radio or from her phone five times a day. And she answers. My mum is cool. She's smart and she's really confident. She grew up in the hopeful hippie days of Kabul, Afghanistan in the 60s and 70s. That's where she got the firebrand version of feminism that she raised me with. So in the midst of this challenge, I went back to my childhood home in London to talk to her about what I was feeling. I wanted to know more about the origin of this ritual. Mama, do you want to be on my podcast? I will take your silence for years. Just say it. My name is Patuni Hidayat. I'm a TA in one of the London secondary schools. When I was a kid, she used to tell me stories from the history of Islam. So I asked my mum to tell me the story of how the Azan came to be. Can you tell me the story of Bilal ibn Rabah? Bilal ibn Rabah was a slave. Yeah. He was black. He was black, yeah. When he accepted Islam, he always wanted to, because he had a beautiful voice, he was hoping one day there will be the opportunity for him to say Allah Akbar. Allahu Akbar, God is great. At the beginning, Muslims were just few and they were very weak and they were practicing. Muslims were praying in secret. Omar. Omar was one of the most powerful people in Islam at the time. He asked Bilal to go to the roof and do the Adhan. So for the first time, he climbed the roof and said, Allah Akbar. 
in very loud uh, voice. And at that time, being black is... is Looked down. Looked down, yes. Him getting this position. So it makes me so happy that Alhamdulillah... Praise be to God. I have a religion that there is no difference between colors, between rich and poor. So just to recap, Bilal ibn Rabah was the first ever person to offer the call to prayer back in the 7th century. When Bilal converted to Islam, his enslavers tried to torture him into renouncing his faith, but Bilal would not give in. And then he believed that he was an important enough devotee of Allah to go and stand on a minaret and tell the world about Islam. Despite the fact that he really, really didn't fit in. A rebel. The goal of this man. I felt lost in this story. This wasn't the Islam that I had grown up fearing. This was an open invitation, not a closed book. But here's the awkward part that I couldn't get my mum, Patuni, to tell me about. It's something that's uncomfortable for most Muslims to even acknowledge. In Islam, it's not forbidden to enslave people. And prominent Muslims, well, they did. So Bilal found himself part of a religion that was okay with a system that had dehumanized him. I don't want this to feel like a win for Islam, but a win for rebelliousness. The story made me feel even more respect for what beloved Sarah has done. And so I wanted to share the story of her rebellion with my mum. I want to show you something that I've been listening to because when I heard the story of Bilal ibn Rabah for the first time, I cried because I didn't know about Islam that there is space for people who are different. When I went to Arabic school and I learned the Quran and all this they didn't tell me that you can be different and you will find a place so I want to play you something um, and see what you think good morning Nilufajun and Nilufaz mother I am recording this especially for you as precious as your welcoming me into your heart and your practice and your ritual is I hope that this is precious for you. Bismillah rahman rahim In the name of oneness, compassionate and merciful. Allahu Akbar What do you think of that? Beautiful. This lady just, she sang and she said it from the bottom of her heart. She feels it when she said that call for prayer. It was beautiful. It's unusual to hear it from a woman. Yeah, they do it but not as loud a speaker like men. You know, in the prayers time, even women are excused for it because they are so busy with 
their lives, their children. They can miss it and do it later. Why is it not women who do this? Why do women not do the call to prayer? Why does that shock Be- you and uh, shock me? Because of the culture. It's not because of the... In, in Islam, in Quran, they are not allowed to do. It's the culture. In Quran, there is no difference between... In prayers, there is no difference between men and women prayers. Why? Because they don't let women to... Voice, to have a voice. Don't bring this... In, in this not included, I think. In this. Why? Because of the men. They wanted to control women from having a voice. Do you think that praying for you is like meditation? Is yes. like <laughs> it relaxes me a lot. It keeps me away from all the day disturbing things that happened on problems that I had or or sad news and from the media, from my children, from my family. <laughs> Thanks. But this is the time that I make time for myself when I am with my God, when I am connected with him. (laughs) Okay, well, you didn't get angry at this, so I'm happy. Mm. Thank you for talking to me about it, mom. It should be the last time. Never. I will speak to you again. No, I'm getting old. I don't have the (laughs) voice and energy to interview you all the time. No. You're my mother. I listen to you differently. Okay, until next time, say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye. On day five of the ritual, something really special happened. So just before dawn, I opened my phone to a private call to prayer just for me from beloved Sarah Zoltash to make up for the days that we'd missed. So... That was incredible. So much of my relationship with my religion is just action. And this just feels so refreshing. Oh God, I am so glad I got up at dawn today. (laughs) It's so different to how I usually get up, which is five minutes before I have to actually functionally sit in front of my laptop and start my Zoom day. Probably rolling through Instagram, Twitter and TikTok in a hot toxic mess of the three, trying to just get validation from the likes of my posts the night before and see whatever toxic crap is in the news and in the ether that day. And this is just a different way. By the final day of rising for the call to prayer, I could see some positive changes in my life. For example, my daily social media time was down. I felt less pulled to pick up my phone. I felt more attuned with my faith, closer to it and the Muslim community than ever before. There was something about hearing a woman's voice. First thing in the morning, oozing with devotion. This ritual, it was begging me to have a better day. It's like a golden thread that connects me, a modern-day Muslim woman, all the way back to the 7th century, to a black man named Bilal who, emancipated, stood on top of a minaret and called to his people to come and be together. And this, well, it's just the beginning. 
I'm going to start this journey to find rebellious voices on the margins of spiritual life that offer rituals that I hope will really help me connect. I hope you'll come along. That was Nelifar Hadayat. Nelifar Hadayat, thank you so much. If you want to hear more, check out Ritually wherever you get your podcasts. And a big thanks as well to the entire team over there for their work on this beautiful piece. Ritually's theme music is by Amron. The original music is by Jay Brown and Snappers. If you're enjoying this Snap Spotlight of Ritually, know their current season explores a bunch of diverse rituals, including reading Harry Potter as a sacred text using techniques from medieval monks. Ritually, it's out now wherever you get your podcasts. After the break, we're going to pop a wheelie with Hassan Minaj. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. My name is Ben Washington, and you learn, I learned, even as a little person, that the way towards acceptance and love and ice cream is by following a certain set of rules. Rules laid out for every age, every situation, with the understanding that if you follow these rules, everything and everyone else is going to do their part. That way the world has order and justice, and more importantly, predictability, right? Acquiescence leads to harmony. Transgression, on the other hand, produces disorder. But what if this little equation gets turned on its head? In fact, what if your world is not made out of rules, but is instead constructed of quicksand? Next. One of the funniest guys I know, Hassan Minaj, formerly of The Daily Show, recently rocked his own special, The King's Gesture. Today, he brings us a story before the cameras and before the fame. Snap Judgment. It's my seventh birthday, and it's September 23rd. It's a Saturday, and my dad, he wakes me up super early in the morning, and he's like, Hassan, get up. And I was like, okay. He's like, get in the Camry. Get in the Camry. And in Davis in the morning, it's really foggy. Like, because we live Davis, Sacramento, Northern California, it's like in the fields. So it's really foggy, and we're in the Camry, and we're driving from Davis to Sacramento. And we get to this intersection. And I look to my left, and it's the one place that every kid dreams about. It's Toys R Us. I was like... Oh my God, dad saw the cutout on my wall. On my wall back home in my bedroom, I had this cutout from the Toys R Us kids catalog. And it was this cutout of this beautiful blue BMX bike that I wanted. 21 speed, 17.2 pounds. 
And I was like, oh, Like, Dad saw the Toys R Us Kids catalog cut out on my wall. He saw my little baby vision board. And he's going to get me this beautiful blue BMX bike that I always wanted. And then he turns right. And I'm like, Home Depot? No! He took me to Home Depot on my birthday. I'm walking through the aisles of Home Depot. I'm in my pajamas. It's like 7.30 in the morning. I'm like, Dad, do you even know what day it is today? He's like, yeah, it's Saturday. And I'm like, no, it's my birthday. Like, today's my birthday. It's September 23rd. Did you forget that it's my birthday? And he's like, no, Hassan, of course, of course I know it's your birthday. That's why I brought you here to Home Depot so you could pick out the door handle for the bathroom. And I'm like, why don't you have me pick out the toilet? Because you're all over my dreams. You know, the first... The first eight years of my life, it's pretty much, you know, me and my dad. And my mom, she's back in India uh, going to med school. She got married to my dad young, so she has to finish up the residency and rotation thing. Now, my mom, conversely, she would come to the States and she would just kill the mom game. It was like being at Disneyland. We were a family. We were all together. She would bring physical gifts. She came to Pioneer Elementary School and brought me a Ghostbusters 1 proton pack. I'm talking about the backpack. I'm talking about the gun. I'm talking about the wheelie thing that catches ghosts. Kids were losing their minds. They're like, what? Hassan's a Ghostbuster? I'm like, yes, I'm a Ghostbuster. It was one of the happiest days of my life. She was really sweet, and she was really into what I was doing, and she wanted me to have fun. But then she'd have to go back to finish her studies in India. I'd be like, Dad, when is she coming back? When is she coming home? And my dad would be like, look, when her visa goes through, we, we'll, we'll be together. We'll be a family again. And I remember the day she came home. It was August 11th, 1993. I'm eight years old. I was so excited. I run into my room and I put on my Ghostbusters proton pack and I'm standing there in the living room. And my dad takes one look at me and he's like, Hassan, put on Indian clothes. And I'm like, all right, I'll be an Indian Ghostbuster. That's fine. I'm like wearing like shavar kameez. I'm <laughs> this like backpack on. And I'm waiting in the living room. The door opens. And my mom walks in. My dad walks in. And then immediately behind my parents is this little brown girl with a mushroom cut. And she just runs over to me. And she's like, Hassan, bye! And she hugs me. And I'm in full hover hands mode because I have no idea who this person is. Basically what happened was my dad would go back and forth to India to visit my mom. And then during one of his trips, he knocked her up. And I had a sister. But no one told me about her. My immediate reaction is like, who is this person? I was supposed to have mobbed myself. I didn't get that. We were supposed to be a family, the three of us. I didn't get I had a sister. No one told me about her. So my mom took this photo of us, and this is the first photo of me and Aisha together, like brother and sister. Aisha is wearing this like blue jumpsuit. I'm in a wh- all white shalvar kameez. So I'm like white kurta, white pajama bottoms. And I'm like, I'm hugging her. Her arms are squeezed tight around me. And she's looking at the camera, like smiling. She's like, aha, America. And then I'm like hugging her. Like, I guess this is the way people in movies are supposed to hug. And then the, the thing that was the worst was they, they were just like, now go take care of her. 
And my dad's like, Hassan, why aren't you happy? And I'm like, I'm ha- why am I not? Because you brought this girl out like Maury for immigrants. Like you were just like, Hassan, you are the brother. And she just comes out. She's dancing just like, where's my bunk bed? I'm like, who are you? She's like, you don't know me. You don't. Yeah, I have no idea who you are. Get out of my room. I didn't sign up for this. You guys did. And my dad's like, Hassan, we're a family. We're all that we have. And you, We're a family. We're all that we have. He just kept saying that. And I'm like, no, that's on you and mom. I mean, I already had this feeling at school where I wasn't even getting by. Hassan by, Hassan by, Hassan by. Kids are like, what's Hassan by? It's like, how do I explain to Cody? Oh, it's a term of endearment in my culture. It means Hassan brother. And as a kid, all you want to do is fit in. That's all I wanted to do more than anything in the world. And having my sister follow me around on the playground, I'm playing kickball, wall ball, Hassan by. I'm like, get lost. And eventually I just couldn't take it anymore. And so I try to ditch her and I run into the boys' bathroom. She follows me into the boys' bathroom, hussin' by! And eventually I just turn and I snap. I'm just like, hey! You're not. You're not. My sister. My sister. And she couldn't understand English. But she could get what I was saying. You know, she started crying and all these like tears are going down her little chubby cheeks. And she runs out of the bathroom. And I look at her and I'm like, oh man. She's going to tell dad. And I'm going to get it. But she didn't tell dad. My dad, he had told my mom all these big promises when they had originally gotten married. I'm going to take you to America. We got this. It's going to be like this and that. And, and, And all those things didn't exactly go over the way he had planned. He really wanted to make make it up to Aisha in a really big way. And so for her fifth birthday, my sister's very first birthday in the United States, he wanted to make it super special. So he brings everybody in the living room and he drags in this big brown box and he hands Aisha a pair of scissors. He's like, Aisha, come over here. Open the box. She cuts open the box and opens the flaps. And on the right flap, I see Toys R Us. My dad reaches in and pulls out this beautiful blue BMX bike. And I'm staring at this bike, the exact bike that was on the Toys R Us kids catalog cutout in my room. My dad, when he presented the bike to my sister, and he didn't even look over or wink or like smile at me or give me this sort of thing where like, Hassan, maybe one day you'll understand. Nope. He just looked at Aisha and was like, here you go, Aisha. She's looking up at me and she's, she stares at me and she can see, she can just tell how mad I am. And she's like, Hassan, by Lona, lo. You know, why don't you take it out for the first ride? And I'll be honest, you know, as an older brother, I felt very entitled to that first ride. She opens the door and she's like, look, Hassan, by just take it for one lap around the cul-de-sac. And I grab those rubber handlebars and I'm just like, that boom and I take off and I'm flying she's like awesome bye and I'm like eat my dust and I am moving on this bike I am switching through all 17 speeds it is 21.1 pounds as advertised and I am flying she's like awesome bye come back and I see this curb and I'm about to pop a wheelie on this curb I'm like yeah I'm gonna fly on this BMX bike and I hit that curb bam and the bike goes left and I go right and that beautiful blue BMX bike boom crashes into the sidewalk and all of that fresh blue paint just chips off the side of the bike it hadn't even been 20 minutes. And then I can hear the pitter-patter of Aisha's chuppels. She's running over and she's just crying. She's standing there in her sandals and sweatpants. She's like, Hassan Bai, why did you do that? Why did you do that? 
I gave you the first ride. Tumne aise kyun kiya? I didn't even say, I didn't say I'm sorry. I just remember I fell off the bike and I looked at it and I knew, I knew when I saw that paint off the side. I was like, this is messed up. I didn't even say, I couldn't, I could, I, I, was, I was speechless. I just remember going to her room the following day and being like, Aisha, listen, I'm really, really sorry. And because kids are so honest, she couldn't even lie to me and say, it's okay. Because it wasn't. That was the first time where she wasn't thrilled to like follow me around. She didn't follow me around. All of a sudden, this girl who was my shadow doesn't really want to hang out with me. After that moment, the mushroom cut started growing out and she got like hair down to her shoulders. We got older. We had separate rooms. She started learning English so she could speak to other kids at school and make friends. Because before, I kind of represented also like a mediator between Oligar and America. This is the playground. This is where you play tetherball. This is where we do this. That's the girls' bathroom. This is the boys' bathroom. This is this. This is Sesame Street. This I would just, I could explain all these things to her. And I could see it the more and more she learned English and started having her own autonomy. And once she started to get her own autonomy, but that meant that she needed Hassan by less and less. Did you miss the shadow when you were losing it? Yeah, it sucked. I started to realize it, and I was like, man, like, yeah, I, I kind of miss that time in our life. Does she look up to you now? I don't know if she looks up to me. I know she calls me every once in a while for advice. And what's crazy is Aisha has always used it as emotional blackmail on me because that blue BMX bike is still in the garage to this day. We were going to what's called like a family dawah. The family dawah means like a family party. I'm late. Get in the camera, you close the doors. And she's like, oh my God, Hasanbai, you are so selfish. And I'm like, what are you talking? Like, and she's like, really? You're not selfish? She points to the corner of the garage. Garage door opens. And she'll she'll be like, hey, look. Look at the side of the bike. Why is one side of the bike just completely missing paint? Oh, yeah, because you crashed it, Hassan Bai. You crashed it when I was a little kid. I mean, yeah, it's a joke now to us, but it's one of those things that she's always had to just remind me of how selfish I am, of like, like just from the earliest memories. You always screwed me over, Hassan Bai. Remember. Big, big thanks to Hassan Minaj for that story. Hassan has a new special. It's available right now. It's called The King's Jester. It will make you laugh. It made me laugh. And I have links to all that is Hassan on our website, snapjudgment.org. The original score for that story was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Lena Masisis. Snappers. You know what's better than hearing a story? Giving one. And you can give the gift of story by sending your friends and your enemies a little taste of the Snap Judgment podcast. They will be forever grateful, I promise. Did I mention Snap's evil twin podcast, Spook, is available everywhere? And yeah, we've been known to make comments from time to time on the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook, even threads. Because we're cool like that. 
stamp is brought to you by the team that has hitchhiked from one end of America to the other. All of us, except for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Mistich. But it's not for lack of his trying. It's just that he had a hard time getting a ride clad in just his Speedo swimsuit. There's Nancy Lopez, Pat Masini Miller, Anna Sussman, Renzo Gorio, John Facile, Sheena Sheely, Teo Ducat, Marissa Dodge, Bo Walsh, Flo Wiley, David XMA, and Regina Bediato. And this is not the news. No way is this news. In fact, you could take one step to your right with your right foot, cross your left foot to the right, bring it behind your right foot, uncross your feet, take another step to the right, and you could bring your left foot to your right foot and close both feet together. And even then, you would be doing a corny version of the electric slide, but you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is... P-R-X